Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's issue. I'm Anne McElvoy and I head Economist Radio. On our menu this week, what's next for Gibraltar after it was hauled out of the EU? How to monitor the high seas for illegal fishing and why Canada is throwing money at whistleblowers. But first, Donald Trump and a divided America was our cover line this week. A tempestuous presidential election is taking place against a backdrop of murmuring national unrest and the mood is sour. But the bleak rhetoric doesn't reflect the recent prosperity of the country and there's one man to blame, as our cover leader explained. America is shrouded in a most un-American pessimism. The gloom touches race relations, which, after the shooting of white police officers by a black sniper in Dallas and Black Lives Matter protests against police violence, followed by arrests in several cities, seem to get ever worse. It also hangs over the economy. Anger and frustration are rife in the land of opportunity. America has problems, but this picture is a caricature of a country that, on most measures, is more prosperous, more peaceful and less racist than ever before. So how do we explain the dissonance between rhetoric and reality? The real threat is from the man who has done most to stoke national rage, win or lose in November... Donald Trump has the power to reshape America so that it becomes more like the dysfunctional and declining place he claims it to be. Even if he loses, the damage he has caused could be irreparable. He has already broken the bounds of permissible political discourse with his remarks about Mexicans, Muslims, women, dictators and his political rivals. It may be impossible to put them back in place once he is gone. That is, if he's gone. Betting markets put the chance of a Trump victory at around 3 in 10, similar to the odds they gave for Britain voting to leave the European Union. And we saw how that one astonished the bookies. Don't forget you can read all of our coverage on the election on our website at economist.com. Our Europe section turned its attention to a territory left rather stranded after Brexit. No, not Britain, but Gibraltar, which voted overwhelmingly to stay in the EU, but is in danger of being dragged, screaming out of it. So now what? Red postboxes and phone booths line the streets. Musket-bearing reenactors march past helmeted policemen. The pubs serve pie and chips, even in 25-degree heat. It seems like a Brexiteer's paradise. Yet, in fact, while 17 million Britons were putting their leave ballots in the box... Gibraltar, a tiny British overseas territory dangling from the southern coast of Spain, voted by 19,322 to 823 to stay. So, on the day of the result, a scattered handful of cheers amid a murmur of the unknown. The peninsula now faces an uncertain future outside the EU which has helped underwrite decades of prosperity and kept the all-important border open. 
Many worry that Spain could close the border again, as it did between 1969 and 1985. Nonetheless, off the southern tip of Spain, the outlook for many remains sunny. A shell-operated liquid natural gas terminal will come online by mid-2017. A new secure data facility is housed deep within the rock. The government hopes to forge tighter links with Morocco and Africa beyond. And that, coincidentally, is where we're heading next too. A quick continent hop and we take a trip down to Mozambique. An article in our Middle East and Africa section took a look at the coastal country as it stumbles towards the murky waters of bankruptcy. Who cares about the tuna fish? asked a fund manager a year or so ago explaining his decision to buy bonds issued by a Mozambican government-backed company that planned to use the money to buy a brand-new fleet of fishing boats. Rather, this canny investor and many others simply looked at the government guarantee underpinning the deal. Even if not a single tuna were caught, the loans would still be repaid since the government would step in. Sadly, it seems the guarantor has sunk itself into a rather slippery situation. Although the government has indeed stepped in to honour the debt, its own finances are horribly stretched, not least because it has borrowed far more than it had previously admitted. And it could well be up the creek without that paddle in sight. Faced with a shoal of troubles, it now appears to be on the brink of default. From some fishy finances to some rather fishy fishing, our weekly science and technology podcast, Babbage, delved into new methods for dealing with potentially illegal trawling on the high seas. Well, let's take a listen in to our environment correspondent, Miranda Johnson, explaining what the current proposals are. We could boost the share of areas that are protected and where fishing is not allowed, perhaps to 30%. And to enforce those areas and keep them kind of fishing free, we could use the developments in satellite technology and also increasingly sailing drones could be used to, if not to prevent people from fishing in those protected areas illegally, at least to identify them. Babbage is published each Wednesday and you can listen to the whole programme free on our SoundCloud page or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a minute. For now, we're drifting out of international waters and into the icy lands of Canada, where monitoring fraud is flavour of the month. As an article in our finance section explained, the authorities there are trying to undermine financial wrongdoing using money. Canada has long had a reputation as a security fraudster's playground, where misdeeds go undetected and unpunished and investors must take extra care. And despite best intentions, the authorities just haven't made much of an impact. Between 2012 and 2015, 1,205 individuals and companies were prosecuted for securities offences in Canada. But fewer than 40 went to jail. Pretty good odds, that, for a fraudster. Well, enough is enough, it seems. This week, the Ontario Securities Commission, Canada's biggest, decided to up the ante by setting up an office to encourage whistleblowing, with the power to offer financial rewards of as much as 5 million Canadian dollars. That's 3.8 million US dollars. So, not to be sniffed at. Other than tempting insiders to reveal their honest side, the hope is that it could nudge companies to get their act together pronto. It should also prompt financial firms to improve compliance systems to catch misconduct before it becomes fodder for a tip. As Canada uses the allure of money to outswindle the swindlers, over in Europe, 
businesses are using elaborate office architecture to tempt new recruits. In our Money Talks programme this week, we explored the emerging trend to add some glitz and glamour to corporate headquarters. Adam Roberts, our European business and finance correspondent, tells Ed McBride, our finance editor, why. All of these companies know that there's a crunch, there's a difficult challenge to get the right talents, to get the engineers, the really high-skilled young people, especially if your headquarters are in the middle of rural Denmark or out in the middle of uh, rural Germany. But there isn't a lot of proof yet that I think it works. This is a, something of a fad, and uh, I suppose the companies that are doing well feel it's just worth chucking the money at this and seeing if it happens. Right. So so there might be a bit of a, a downside to shareholders, may, maybe spending money without any purpose. But is there any downside for the workers? I mean, it must be lovely to be in one of these wonderful new buildings. Well, you're right. I mean, on the one hand, it, having a, a, a mini golf course on the roof of your headquarters or having a sports facility and some playrooms must, must be great. And no doubt there are some workers who love that. I might even be partial to a spot of golf between meetings. But as Adam explained, offices can become a little too nice to work. My suspicion, my sceptical view of it is that actually the downside is that workers are somewhat encouraged to live their lives in these buildings, not to go home, but to spend, you know, every waking hour in effect at work. They get almost trapped in these buildings and don't want to leave. The Economist's basement studio is something of an exception to that. Now, over in our Books and Arts section, we reviewed a new work entitled The Voyeur's Motel. It's all about one man who certainly didn't want to leave his place of work. The question he was grappling with is voyeurism madness or just exaggerated curiosity. Gay Talese, a veteran American journalist renowned for investigations into the private lives of his subjects, is more qualified than most to answer. His latest book is a study of voyeurism stripped to its bare fundamentals. See what we did there. The book lets us peep into the life of a peeper. Based on a long-standing correspondence with Gerald Foos, the self-declared world's greatest voyeur, Mr Talese tells the story of his subject's life as owner of Manor House Motel in Colorado for nearly 30 years. As the owner, he was well within his rights, I think, to add some modifications to his motel. Mr Foos fitted his property with an observation platform in the attic, complete with fake ventilator grates, enabling him to spy on his guests. Mm, Perhaps not, then. And moral implications aside, we learn that the protagonist... ...believes himself to be a pioneering sex researcher. Mr Foos considers himself to have performed three decades of public service and now seeks recognition. Though our reviewer wasn't too sure how much of that was due. Even if Mr Foos' tale is broadly reliable, it is unsettling that he's been given a platform. Perhaps a little too much exposure all round there. I'm Anne McElvoy, sneaking out of the building, and that was Tasting Menu. Do send us your feedback via email, radio at economist.com, or on Twitter at Economist Radio. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.